This morning, uh, I'm going to talk about names. What's, what's in a name? And have any of you ever kind of run into somebody that had a name that just kind of made you laugh? Have you ever, ever met somebody like that? I, I've met a few, uh, but I thought, you know, if I've met a few, there's got to be some really wacky names out there somewhere. And so I, I actually looked up uh, online uh, real names of, of people who have some kind of funny and maybe unfortunately funny names. Uh, one, one gal's name, her name was Wendy Wacko. Would you, I mean, how, if you're, if you're, what is a parent thinking? <laughs> I don't know, Wendy Wacko. Anyway, and, and then there was another guy, his name was Chris Bacon, and his parents named him Chris, and his middle initial is P. Chris P. Bacon. Like, thanks, Mom and Dad. Uh, then there's another guy uh, by the name of Rex Mullins. And uh, his first initial is T. I mean, you, th- you think you had some problems growing up. You know, how would you like to grow up with those names? Uh, so, I mean, names can be really, really funny, uh, but they're, they're very personal to us. I mean, they're, they're, they're an important part of, of who we are. Uh, the world's longest name, this is unbelievable, world's longest name is Adolf Blaine, Charles, David Earl, Frederick, Gerald Hubert, Irvin, John Kenneth Lloyd, Martin, Nero, Oliver, Paul, Quincy, Randolph, Sherman, Thomas, Uncas, Victor, William, Xerxes, Yancey, Wolfenschlegen, Heinstein, Hausen, Burgerdorf. <laughs> Senior. <laughs> now, if you're a junior, it's like, come on, dad, are you kidding me? Uh, how would you like to be signing the documents on a, on a house purchase with that name? I, I mean, they'd have to take you to the hospital after it's over to treat you for, you know, m- uh, metacarpal syndrome or something. But names have real purpose and they have meaning and that's how we identify each other. And it's how, it's how we relate to each other. And it's very, very personal. And it means that when someone starts calling us by their name that they know us, or at least they're trying to, to get to know us, and you may, have, you may have noticed, you may have run into this a time or two in your life, that people often have titles uh, attached to their name. And when you don't know somebody, you'll almost always attach the title to their name. And I'll just use Dr. Molt for an example. So sometimes you could say, hey, Dr. Molt. Um, or, you know, Senator so-and-so, or Mr. or Mrs., but the title always goes to their name. But the more that you get to know somebody, once a relationship starts to get built, then in public you may still use the the title as as a sign of respect or honor, but when you get alone in, in, in private with that person, the titles tend to go away and you start relating to them on a first name basis. Have you ever noticed that? What does that mean? That means that you're building a friendship. That means you're building a relationship. You are building a comfort level with each other and now you're identifying with each other's name, not their title, but you're identifying with each other's name. You're you're building this intimate relationship. Well, When we read our English Bibles, um, we usually see the names of God expressed as God or Lord or Jehovah. 
But there is a whole lot more to the name of God than probably many of you imagine. And so this morning and for the next several weeks, I want to talk about the names of God. Because just like you and I will often start with a title to somebody's name when we get to know them, um, but as we get to know them, we start to drop the title and identify them more by their personal name, I think the names of God this morning have that similar importance to us, a similar significance to us, that as we start to build a relationship with God, it moves from just the title of God or Lord or Jehovah to something much more personal, something much more meaningful. And I think as we talk about some of these names, there's some really important relational aspects about the different names of God that we need to know and and they reveal something to us about his character and how we can relate to him. So you may or may not know this, but there are actually 16 different names for God. 16 different names. Here they are. Elohim God, Yahweh, El Elyon, Adonai, El Shaddai, El Elom, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nissi, El Kana, Jehovah Mekadishkum, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sabbath, Jehovah Ra, Jehovah Sidkenu, and Jehovah Shama. Have you knew all those names of God? Say, almost nobody. Why do you think that there are 16 different names for God in the Bible? Because each part of these names, each one of these names reveals a little something about the character of God, reveals a little something about who God is to us and how we can relate to him. And church, I'm telling you, the more that we understand these names of God, the more precious he will become, I promise you. So before we dive into to looking at a few of these, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, as we come to your word this morning and we begin to talk about these beautiful names uh, of, of God in the scripture, um, Lord, I, I just pray that you'll open these up and just reveal to us in just very personal ways the beauty, the majesty, the power, the scope of all of these different names. Lord, may it become something very very personal, very important to us in, in how we relate to you, how we, how we love you, how we serve you, how we follow you. Uh, God, help my voice. Help my voice to hold up this morning and, and to get through this morning and help it not be a distraction uh, to those who are listening. But Lord, just bless and anoint your word this morning uh, in the ear of every hearer, both here in person and those who are watching uh, online. God, just be blessed, be honored in Jesus' name. All God's people said... Amen. All right. So we're going to look at three of these names this morning, and we're going to look at some more in the coming weeks. But there's three in particular that we're going to look at this morning. And I want you to open up your Bible, whether you've got a digital copy or a hard copy, to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis 1, 1. All right. So right out of the gate, in the very first verse of our Bible, we we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you're looking at your copy of the Bible, whether it's digital or a hard copy, 
The only word that you see there is, is God, right? All you see is God. In the beginning, God. Now, let me say something about that first. I think it's incredibly important that in the very first verse of the scripture, we see in the beginning, God. Church, I'm telling you right now, if you got nothing else out of anything that I share with you this morning, if you can walk out of here processing the importance of just that statement, those three words, in the beginning, God, we would have a life-changing experience. In the beginning, God. Everything starts with God. Now, see, we have, we have this, this tendency in our, in our world that everything sort of revolves around us, right? We're the star of our own show. And man, do we like to be the star of our own show. But guess what? You ain't the star of your own show. You're a part in God's show. Right? You understand that? This is not your show. It's not my show. It's God's show. We're part of God's show. In the beginning, God. God is first. He's foremost. In the beginning, God, everything else flows from there. And if you will order your life this morning forward around the fact that God is first, you will have a changed life. In the beginning, God. But as you look at it there, that's all you see is God. But on the slide there, you'll see that there's actually a word there that you don't see in your Bible, and it's called Elohim. Now, this is where sometimes reading the Bible gets a little challenging because all of those names for God that you saw on that other slide, all those 16 names, you don't always see them listed in the Scripture. You'll almost always see God, Lord, or Jehovah. But the word for God there is actually Elohim. And it has some very specific meaning about who this God is that everything begins with. So let's look at Elohim. God is first and foremost, and these are the things that Elohim means. First of all, he's the source of all power. He's omnipotent. Elohim means that this God that's first, this God that, that comes before everything else, he's omnipotent. All power flows and originates from God. Now you think, well, you know, cool, I, I sort of know that already, so that's no big deal to me, all right? But you probably didn't know that Elohim is actually the word for God there, and here's, here's why omnipotent and this word Elohim has some value to you because I can promise you that as we stand here this morning on the last Sunday of February, and it is pretty amazing, we're, I mean February, last Sunday of January, it's, it's pretty amazing that we're already finished with a month, isn't it? But we still have over 330 days of this year left to live out, 330 chapters of life to, to live out on a daily basis. And I promise you, as you try to live out these 330 days and you desire in your heart and I desire in my heart that 2020 be a great year, somewhere over the course of this year, you're gonna run into something that is bigger than you. You're gonna run into something that seems beyond you. You're gonna run into something that seems like there's no way I'm gonna be able to deal with this. But when you know 
that you serve a God who is Elohim, that he is omnipotent, then whatever you are facing, whatever you have a need to encounter and overcome, God is the source of the power that you need to deal with it. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you know, I'm, 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 I don't know, I don't know what percentage I am today. I'm not a hundred percent today, but, but if, if think, think about if, if the world depended, the world, if the world depended on you being a hundred percent, 24 seven, every hour, every minute of every day for the entire year, the whole world depended on you being at maximum power 24 seven. You think the world might be in a little bit of trouble? Oh, yeah. Be in a lot of trouble if it was up to me. But we serve a God who has an inexhaustible power supply. When you are tired, when I am tired, when we don't feel like we can deal with the challenges in front of us, we get down on our knees and we pray to Elohim, God, give me the power because I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Elohim, he's the source of all power. Then Elohim also means that he's the source of all wisdom and understanding. He's, he's omniscient. Now, that's a word that I'm sure you've heard before. You may not have realized that it was attached to Elohim. But it's so incredibly important to me that this, this is the first reference to God coming, coming out of the very first verse of the Bible is that this God, who is the beginning of everything, he, not only is he the source of all power, he's the source of all wisdom and understanding. He's omniscient. Let me tell you why that's important to you. There are probably some of you that came through the doors this morning and you are already wrestling with something that is going on in your world. Something's going on in your life, your family, your job situation, something. And you are just wringing your hands because the truth is you're stymied. You just don't know what to do with it. You're not sleeping well at night. You're anxious. It is, it is making you lose sleep. And you're frustrated. I've had conversations with several of you in this congregation, and I know what some of those situations are. But there's more of you that have those situations going on, and I don't have a clue, but you and God do. And you're sitting here this morning, and you got things going on in your life, and you just are, you're, you're like between a rock and a hard place. You go, God, I don't know what to do. And this very first verse, this God that is Elohim, that is the beginning of all things, he says, you know what? You don't have to worry because I know. I know. And you know, when in my own, uh, for, for me as a human and you as a human, we tend to look at time because it is true in our experience, time is a finite thing, right? There are only so many minutes in a day. There's only so many hours in a day. And, and when that's gone, it's gone. You don't ever get the time back that you've lost. You ever been in a situation that's causing you stress and anxiety and you just want to fix it right now, even if you kind of mess it up in fixing it? Have you ever been there? Right, because you just want it to be done. You just want it to be fixed. And if you're like me, there have been times I've been like, God, would you do something? Have you ever had that prayer? God, would you just do something? What are you waiting on? You know, God is not limited by the same time factors that we are. You know that? Isn't that cool? 
God is not limited by the same time factors that we are. And he sees all these things that we don't because he is the source of all wisdom and understanding. He's omniscient. So he sees all of the other things that are going on that you don't see, that I don't see. And he's going, well, I I understand why you're feeling pressured. I understand why you're feeling stressed and anxious about this. I understand why you want this to be fixed right now. But trust me, trust me, I see what you don't. I got this. I got it. Let me walk you through it. I'll walk with you, but I'll walk you through it. And I will make sure that it happens in the way that it needs to happen, when it needs to happen, because I am an omniscient God. Amen. I am so thankful that I have an Elohim omniscient God. Elohim also means that he's the source of all authority. He's supreme. He's over everything. Now, authority is a word that we don't really like in our culture anymore, right? Have you noticed that? People just don't like to have anybody tell them what to do. I mean, you know, our kids don't like parents telling them what to do. I mean, adults don't like the boss telling them what to do. I mean, we'll do it because if we don't, we're not going to get a paycheck. But I mean, we don't like anybody telling them. Nobody likes authority anymore. But guess what? This, this name of God, Elohim, tells us that God is the source He's the fountainhead. He's the beginning of all authority. All authority flows from God. You know what that tells me? That authority is built into the fabric of our universe. Authority is something you're never going to get away from. I'm never going to get away from. And we have to understand that the beginning of it all, the authority that's above it all is God. And you can try to do things your own way. You can say, I don't like what the Bible says about this. I don't like what the Bible says about that. I don't like what my parents are telling me about this because, you know, they say, well, this is what the Bible teaches, but I don't like that. I don't like my parents. I'm mad at them. I'm mad at God. I'm going to do it my own. You, you can try to do life your own way, but because God is the source of all power, eventually you're going to lose that fight. You might remember the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul was running around killing Christians and and so he, he, had, he had some papers to go kill some, some more Christians in Damascus. And so he's on the road to Damascus. And God whacks him down right in the middle of the road. And he said, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul looks up. This was before his name was changed. Saul looks up and says, you know, Lord, Lord, you know, what, what are you doing? And, and God looked at him and said, it's hard to kick against what? The goads or the pricks. He said, it's hard to kick against the pricks. Now, what that was, a cart, as a cart was, was an animal was pulling a cart, you had these, these uh, pricks or these goads that would, if they, if they tried to kick backwards, it was painful. It, I mean, there's sharp pointy things. I don't like to, you know, kick sharp pointy things. I don't like to step on sharp pointy things. It's not fun. And so they were designed to keep the animal moving in the direction that the owner wanted it to move in, right? I mean, that's how it works. And when, when a, an animal kept doing this, it just, it just hurt itself. And it was to train it, don't do that, follow the direction of the owner and it'll all be good. And God is saying, when you try to live your own way, when you try to say, hey, I don't like authority, I don't like anybody telling me what to do, you can kick against the pricks, but you're only hurting yourself. If you'll follow the leadership of the owner, who happens to be God, 
it's going to work out a lot better for you. Eventually, you're going to lose the fight. You might as well just make it good now. Quit trying to fight it. Just go with it. Let be in a blessable place instead of a place where you're suffering the consequences. And God is the source of all authority. We have to learn coming right out of the gate. Genesis 1-1. No matter what you want to do, no matter what I want to do, God is still the source of all authority. And if we start to go outside of that authority, we try to say, well, I don't have to answer to anybody. God says, oh yeah, you will. You will. You will answer to somebody. And ultimately, you're going to answer to me. So you might as well get that squared away right out of the gate. Genesis 1-1, God is God, first and foremost. Then in the next chapter of Genesis, turn to Genesis chapter 2, we're introduced to an additional name, another name of God that reveals a little bit more information about who he is. So in Genesis 2-4, you read this. This is the history of the heavens and the earth. When they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. All right, that's all I'm going to read of that verse. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. All right, so you see Lord God there. And in your Bible, you see Lord in all capital letters, right? Everybody see Lord in your Bible in all capital letters? Okay. What you don't see in your Bible is this four consonant word that you see on the screen uh, right beside Lord. It is what we call in English Yahweh. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to pronounce a word that has no no, uh, uh, vowels. It's really hard and you sound stupid when you do it. And, and so you just, it's like, if you try to say that people are like Some, something's wrong with him, you know, I, help him get, you know, give him some medication. I don't know. So when, when our, the, the, um, transcribers of the Bible came across this, you don't actually see Lord in, in the original language. You see you, the God. And we translate that as Lord. Every time you see capital letters, L-O-R-D, in your Bible, it is that word. It's used over 6,000 times in the Scripture. It's, It's the most common term that you will see for God in your entire Bible. Is the Lord God. All right? And and so when they were translating this, the, the, the transcribers of the Bible said, well, we, you know, we can't, we can't write that word that way. So we've got to add some vowels to it. And so now here's, here's what it looks like when you see it now in, in modern English. It's, we inserted two vowels between the, the Y and the H and the, uh, uh, and the W and the H. So go ahead and put that slide up for me, the next one. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So now you see that and now you can pronounce that. It, it, it's Yahweh. You see Yahweh and we can pronounce Yahweh. And Yahweh, when you, when you see the word Yahweh, the Lord, four, four capital letters, it means that God is eternal. He's not just Elohim God, who is the source of all power, the source of all knowledge, and, 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 and he is supreme. He's also eternal. 
Yahweh introduces us to the concept that God is eternal. Now, you might remember that when Moses uh, had been on the backside of the desert for 40 years and God was calling him to go back to Egypt and call his people out of slavery, Moses said, well, who who am I going to tell, send me, I mean, you got to give me some ID here, God. You know, what am I going to tell them? Because they're not going to listen to me. So what do I tell them? Who sent me? And who did God say that he was? I am. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. I am. Why in the world would God call himself I am? He didn't say I became. He didn't say I am becoming. He said I am. Why? Because God has always been. I just am. I am. Eternal. Nothing came before me. I am eternal. And and when you go and you say I am, then what you're saying is, the person that sent you predates who you think you are, Pharaoh. He came before you, and he will be here long after you. He is I am. He is eternal. Now, we can't really comprehend that. Have any of you ever really tried to understand the eternal quality of God? I mean, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? And it just kind of messes with your brain when you're trying to figure that out. Uh, I had a conversation uh, online with somebody uh, here in the church uh, just in the last uh, couple of weeks, we're just struggling with this concept of an eternal God. How do, you, how do you wrap your arms around God is eternal? I mean, it, you just start blowing gaskets because our, our frame of reference starts with us. And, and it's, it's very difficult to explain an eternal God. But I got to thinking about this and I thought, well, let me, let me see if... if this helps. And, and maybe it'll help some of you, maybe others it won't, but if it helps some of you, great. Um, so do, anybody in here love studying history? Anybody? Okay, I got, I got a few. A few of you love studying history. How many of you hated studying history? Yeah, way more, way more people hated studying history. Now, I, I, had, I had some really, really good history teachers when I was growing up. I had some terrible history teachers growing up. And the difference really was the terrible history teachers, it, it really all came down to names, dates, and places, right? I mean, and that's how so many people view history. It's a name, it's a date, and it's a place. So-and-so did such-and-such such at such-and-such such a place at such-and-such such a time. And we, we don't identify it. We, we learn it. I mean, hopefully, because we got to pass the test, dadgummit. But, I mean, as soon as you pass the test, you forget it all because it's nothing, it's just information. It's just facts and figures. All right, but let me ask you this. When you start talking about those names and those dates and those places, were those real people? Yes? Were they real places? Was there real drama? Were there real wars and battles? Was there real suffering? Was there real joy? Yes, all those things are true. But we can't relate to that. We might might appreciate something that happened in a historical context, but we can't really relate to it. Why? Because we didn't experience it. We weren't there. So because we weren't there, we didn't experience it, it's hard for us to wrap our arms around it as, as being completely relevant to us. 
That was another time, it was another place. I wasn't there. Everything, okay, this comes back to us being the, the, you know, the, the middle of our show, the star of our own show. We're the one in the middle and everything revolves around us. But history tells us that all of those things were real, but we have a hard time relating to them because they predate us. Well, y'all, God predates us too. And I think sometimes the fact that if we, if we think about the things that happened in history and we know that they were real, they were no, real people, real places, real times, real drama, real, real anguish, but we can't quite identify them, then maybe that might help you understand how to relate to God. You weren't there when God was there. You didn't experience God before the creation of the world. And so it's hard to wrap our arms around that because it, it's predates us. We don't have that experience with God. And now here's what most people do with that. When people can't explain it, when they can't, you know, work it out logically, if I can't smell it, taste it, you know, see it or feel it, then I just dismiss it out of hand. Because if, it, if I can't verify it with my senses, then I'm not going to put any faith in it. And so people just try to dismiss God out of hand. Well, when I was growing up in the 60s, uh, some of you remember the hippie movement, and, and during the 60s, part of the hippie movement was there was this big thing, God is dead, right? Any of y'all remember that, God is dead? And, and they didn't really start anything new. They were just basically recounting some information that was uh, a philosopher, an uh, 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 atheist philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, who said God is dead. And he said God is dead because he couldn't understand God. I, it's like, I, I can't intellectually make sense out of God. And because I can't intellectually make sense out of God, then I'm just gonna declare God is dead. And these people, these hippies in the 60s picked up on that and they started this movement that God is dead. Well, I got a question. If God's dead, who signed the death certificate? If God's dead, where's the obituary? If God's dead, who called the next of kin to verify the body? If God's dead, who called me? Because I am next of kin, because he is my daddy. Church, I'm telling you this morning, God is not dead because God is eternal. He predates us. He's alpha and omega. It starts with him. It will end with him. And while we may not understand it, we accept it because God is God and we are not. Amen. 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 Now, this, this idea of, of forever, of eternal being, it was just such a big thing for the Jewish people, God's people. And, and it kind of superseded everything. They're like, we don't ever, ever want to do anything. He's, a, he's, a, he's an eternal God. We don't want to offend him in any way. And so because they didn't want to offend God in any way, they were very um, reluctant to use the name Yahweh. Because they felt if they said it wrong or, or pronounced it wrong, that they might offend this eternal God. And because he's also Elohim, well, you know, he could mess with us. And so they just didn't want to do anything that would bring dishonor to God, that would, that would be uh, seen as bad on their part. And so they were very, very cautious about this time or this title and this name of Yahweh. So later in Genesis, we get to another name that became the name that most of God's people would use so that they didn't have to use Yahweh. Turn over to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, verse 
And we're going to look at the first two verses of Genesis. Again, make sure you're looking at this in your hard copy, your digital copy. Okay, and so this is God dealing with, with Abram before he became Abraham. And verse 1 of chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord, all capital letters, right? So that's Yahweh, the, the word of the eternal God came to Abram in a vision saying, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless in the air of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Now, when you look at that, Lord God, that's not all capital letters. And we've already said every time you see Lord in all capital letters, that means it's Yahweh, but this is not in all capital letters. That means it's a different name. The name that Abram uses here is the name Adonai. Adonai. Now, in order for us to understand why Adonai is important and why Abram would use Adonai and what that means to us, we have to just backtrack for a moment and make sure that we truly, truly, truly understand the importance of God as Elohim and God as Yahweh. See, because if God is omnipotent, and he is, if God is omniscient, and he is, if God is supreme, and he is, and if God is eternal, and he is, then here's the natural implication of that. He is entitled to respect and obedience and honor from every person that has ever drawn a breath. If he's Elohim and he's Yahweh, then he is entitled to the best that we've got, everybody that has ever walked the face of this earth. And so that's why Abram addressed him as Adonai, which means Lord and Master. See, if, if, he's, if he's Lord God Yahweh, if he's Elohim God, then he's also Adonai God, Lord and Master. Go ahead and give me that next slide, please, so that everybody can see that. Lord and Master. He's Lord and master. Now, this is where it gets real personal for us. Because we can call God Elohim, which is acknowledging his omnipotence and his omniscience and his supremacy. We can acknowledge him as Yahweh. We can say, yeah, God's eternal. But when we say he's Adonai, then we're, then we're stating who he is to us. You see the difference? See, we're recognizing his attributes when we recognize him as Yahweh and we recognize him as Elohim. But when we call him Adonai, when we call him Lord and Master, we're saying who he is to us. And this is very, very important because most of us in here this morning, we got no issue calling him Elohim. We recognize that. We have no issue calling him Yahweh. We have no issue recognizing him as eternal. But is he really, is he really Adonai? Is he really Lord and Master? Luke chapter 6, verse 46, I'll put this on the screen for you. See, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you don't do the things which I say. Now, the New Testament was given to us in Greek, so this is not the same word as Yahweh, I mean as Adonai, 
but it means the same thing in Greek. It's Lord and Master. So Jesus is saying, why do you call me Lord and Master and you don't do the things that I say? Does that make more sense to you now? If you call me Lord and Master, then by default you are supposed to be doing the things that I tell you because I am your Lord and Master. Does that make sense? And Jesus is saying, why would you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do the very things that I've told you to do? And here's why that really, really matters. One more verse of scripture for you, Matthew 7, 21. See, Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everybody who calls me Lord and Master shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father. That is one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture. Because we have churches that are filled with people who are willing to call God Elohim. They're willing to call God Yahweh, acknowledging that, yeah, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's eternal. And there are even people in church that will call him Lord and Master. But if our life isn't reflecting the fact that he truly is Lord and Master, there's going to be a lot of people standing before Jesus on that final day and go, wait a minute, I called you Lord and Master. And he's going to say, where's the proof of that in your life? I'm going to ask our worship team to come begin to prepare for a response Where's the proof of that in your life? Remember when, when my youngest son, uh, Zach, was in uh, kindergarten? Zach. When he was, when he was when our oldest son, Zach, in kindergarten. He's five years old. And uh, I think they were doing a show and tell or something. I don't remember exactly. But I was able to dig out a picture of my kindergarten class, about 30 kids or so. And I sent it with him to school. And I said, Zach, just ask your friends if, if they can find you. Now, Zach was not in the picture. It was my kindergarten class. My, I was five years old. I said, ask your class if they can find you. And do you know every kid in that class picked me? You know why? Because Zach looked almost exactly like me at five years of age. Now, how can that be? He had my DNA. Right? A parent passes DNA down to the child. What in the world does that have to do with anything? Because if you have truly bowed your heart and your knee and you've confessed your need for Christ as Lord and Savior and that was genuine, then the DNA of the Father passed down to you as a child of God. And when you think of this verse in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord and Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We have far too many people that are calling Jesus Adonai, but nothing in their life looks like he really is their dad. Nothing in their life 
looks like he really is their master. And so this morning, we easily, so easily use the name of God. But it has so much more depth than most of us understand. It has so much more meaning than most of us understand. And I want us this morning to not be flippant about the name of God, but to love it, to adore it. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And if you're carrying chains around this morning, maybe it's because you're calling Jesus Lord and Master, but you don't have his DNA yet. Psalm 24, 1, this will be the last passage I put on the screen for you. It says, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and the, all those who dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. You belong to God. And here's the thing. Every one of us that are sitting here right now, everyone that ever watches this online, every one of us, at one point or another, we will call God Lord and Master. But he gives us a choice now. And we don't want to use Lord and Master just because, ah, yeah, it sounds good, I'm in church. We want to use Lord and Master because he is our Lord and he is our Master and we have his DNA. We look like him. But if you don't do that, there will come a day that you will bow your knee and you will confess that he is Lord and he is Master. But on that day, there won't be a choice. On that day, it will be a command. And on that day, every person who made a choice to ignore God, they will declare him as Lord, but then they will be separated from him forever in a place that we call hell. But those who make the choice now to say, yes, he has all those attributes, but he's going to be my Lord and master. I'm going to bear his DNA. Then we will live for him forever. This morning, it's an open invitation, whatever your need is. Do you need God as Elohim to show up in your life this week, this year? Do you need to understand him as, as Yahweh, this eternal God that maybe you've struggled with following because you can't make sense of eternity? But God is saying, quit trying to make sense of it. You're never going to understand. If you could understand God fully, then what kind of a God would that be? Quit trying to make logical sense of God and just trust him. Or are you not sure this morning that you're calling God Lord and Master and he truly is? These altars are going to be open in a moment. You can come and pray. Whatever your need may be, people will join you. If you want to ask about this Lord and Master thing and make sure that you know the Lord is your Savior, I'd love to talk to you right here in the center. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Father, as we respond this morning, I pray that you'll have your will and your way in every heart and every life. Lord, let no one leave here today with an unmet need. Don't let anybody go out of the door today still needing something from you. God, get rid of pride. Get rid of stubbornness. And Lord, let every person have an encounter with you this morning at a Elohim level, 
at a Yahweh level or to truly make you an Adonai in their life this morning. We pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.